So we're back with the audio edition. We're coming up on the one year anniversary of Trends VC. And this is something that has been top of mind for a while. So let's get to the topic. It was listed in Next Up as fragmented markets. And it really speaks to instead of doing like zero to one ideas or trying to create a new market, more so indexing into an existing market and trying to go one to N or N to N. And the topic came out as competitor risk. And you'll see why I chose that topic in a minute. So we have this new section called Why It Matters, and I'll just go over some reasons why this report and why this topic matters. I see a lot of founders wasting time, and that's our most valuable resource, where you see them trying to recreate the wheel or create new markets. And throughout the report, this will come up again and again in terms of taking uh, competitor risk where some of that market risk has already been hedged away for you instead of taking market risk and trying to create these new categories. You also see a lot of founders blowing up their businesses. These are perfectly good businesses, but they may mistake them for venture scale businesses and it takes two to tango. So maybe they're selling investors, maybe investors are selling them on this idea or it's a combination of both where you see this with a lot of productized services companies like Atrium or HomeJoy. Again, a good business, it just wasn't venture scale. And a lot of times investor expectations can force you to try to grow faster when that's just not the nature of the business. That's not a property of that market. And lastly, why it matters is this is more philosophical, but it's around glory versus freedom where you'll notice that a lot of these businesses that are in fragmented markets, they tend to be bootstrap businesses. And that leads to just a more free lifestyle. Whereas you look at the venture path where you could end up with more stakeholders and more bosses than anyone in that company. And you may not control your company. You may not control your time as much. And you're playing this very high risk game. And we'll get into more of the nuances later. So in terms of the problem, it just goes back to taking unnecessary risk by trying to take market risk and create a new category as opposed to taking uh, competitor risk and more so indexing into the market. So some examples in terms of markets or categories, you can look at email marketing services like MailChimp, ConvertKit, podcast hosting companies, Transistor, Castos, Anchor, Buzzsprout, Podbean, or CRMs where there are probably hundreds of CRM players, and somehow they've all found a niche and somehow they're all eating in a way. Website builders, that's another classic case. The forum or survey generators where Tally just entered that market, but Typeform was in there. You can think about SurveyMonkey. The checkout apps like Spiffy or all of these apps that are built on top of uh, Stripe or the other payment uh, gateways. You can look at the calendar scheduling space, SavvyCal, X.ai, Calendly. They also have some viral effects going on there. Even like no-code website scrapers, TriSpider. There are a lot of companies in that space and that should be in the pro version of the report. In terms of predictions, the first prediction is saying that technical moats are pretty much non-existent. You can't find many technical moats. And when you're looking at fragmented markets, we're seeing that there's still a game to be played, but that game is being played in terms of acquisition, not in terms of like product, even if it's like a slight technical design, that's something that can be copied. It might be costly for an incumbent or one of your competitors to copy that. It could even be costly for them to copy your positioning, but they can technically do that. They may not do that for other reasons. Another prediction is saying that we'll see more 
uh, million dollar one person businesses, or really just that we'll see smaller firms. I talked about this in the million dollar one person business report where I looked at the theory of the firm. And a big part of that is that firms come together because transaction costs are high, where you'll spend months trying to train this person and it makes sense to keep them in house and maintain that relationship. But when you have APIs and productized services and fractional roles and no code, that just means that you don't have to have as many skills in-house and so firms can get smaller because you can throw these sort of atomic pieces of work over the wall and there's a contract or understanding in terms of what you expect back from that. Another prediction is around just more founders buying instead of building. In the micro-private equity report, I talked about buying successes as opposed to paying for failures. Even in the last week's report where we looked at a value-based pricing, value-based pricing and micro-private equity have some like pretty interesting ties between them. One example is say you're looking to buy a company and a founder tells you, hey, like I put 30,000 hours into building this company. You're not buying that. You're not paying for that. You're paying for the MR that they have. So if you have a thousand dollars MR, I might pay you a multiple of that, but I'm not paying you for the 30,000 hours that you or someone else may have put into this. So you're really buying and saving your most valuable resource, uh, which is time if you have access to capital or you can structure a deal on some type of earnout where you're really like buying time and you're fast forwarding to some type of product market fit there. And this is more complicated, but it's just around switching costs going up. So if we're looking at fragmented markets, the whole other side of this is when someone is saying, I'm going to take market risk and try to create this new category. And we better hope that new category isn't a fragmented market because you end up with the worst of both worlds. But we'll get there in a minute. This is looking at situations where you're taking market risk and it is a winner take most or winner take all game, which I think winner take all is pretty much a myth anyway. But why does this matter? Why am I talking about switching costs here? Because I think that the way that we see networks and marketplaces in terms of these winner take most games, that's going to vastly change. You could look at the DeFi report and what happened with uh, Uniswap and SushiSwap, where Uniswap is just a liquidity aggregator. If I say, if I have Ether and I want to trade, uh, you like get an esoteric token that's generally not available. As long as there's someone else on the other side of that trade, we can trade in a decentralized way. SushiSwap came around, and I don't know if they just forked the open source code, but they came around with slightly better terms, slightly better take rates. And they said, we're going to provide you those terms in a chunk of liquidity flowed over to SushiSwap and what they call a vampire attack. So network effect still matters, liquidity still matters, but we're entering this area where the switching costs are dropping. Uh, in standups, I talked about recently putting some money into a urine vault, that's a yield aggregator, and they're just programmatically moving money around to wherever the highest yield is at. We talked about OpenSea, which is a decentralized marketplace in the NFT report, that's a marketplace aggregator. So you're getting to these places where the switching costs are dropping, it hasn't hit Amazon yet, it hasn't hit Facebook yet, but I think even the way, even though we're talking about fragmented markets, the way we see these non-fragmented markets or these winner-take-most markets, that's going to change vastly in a couple of years, and it's already happening in DeFi. Rob Walling had a prediction, and it's, it's really a, a mental model or a way to think about what's happening in SaaS, which is like a relatively new uh, phenomenon, but he's talking about once you've been adding and adding on to a SaaS app for 10 or 15 years, it starts to get crusty and you really can't think about things from first principles. And that opens the door for newer SaaS platforms to come in and think about things from first principles. And he highlighted Drip, which he ended up selling, and uh, ConvertKit, which Nathan Barry is running. And they came in 
and started within a year of each other, coming in around that like 10, 15 year mark of those incumbent email service providers. So let's look at some opportunities. So I'm making a call back as the first opportunity to say buy instead of build. If you have access to capital, if you can manage to structure a deal. And that's a call back to the prediction that I mentioned before, but I think it's such an important point that it bears repeating. Another opportunity is around stacking these strategies where everything I'm talking about here, it's really just around reducing risk. We're talking about market risk, but that's a huge variable. And that's something that a lot of founders aren't paying enough attention to. It's basically saying stacking these strategies. So if you say, okay, I'm going to go into a fragmented market. Why not also pre-sell on top of that? And what that's going to do is if you have problems reaching your customers or forming your messaging in a way to get through to them, you're basically front-loading your problem before you build a product or before you have a high investment uh, in this thing. And it's just a forcing function to reveal all of those issues that you might have in terms of distribution, which is where the game is being played now. Funny enough, the next opportunity is right around distribution of saying, find some type of proprietary distribution. And that's where the game is being played in terms of uh, fragmented markets. That can mean you have a newsletter, a podcast, some type of like industry award, some type of conference, something like this, where you see like HubSpot, they just bought the hustle. They're really just buying distribution. They're buying a proprietary distribution and we'll see how that plays out for them. Another opportunity is around lowering switching costs. So a lot of these, first of all, a lot of SaaS companies are in fragmented markets. And you'll see that some of these SaaS companies, they have embedding effects or high switching costs where you think about what would I have to go through to get off of MailChimp? Aside from having to learn new habits, there's the data transfer element. And they don't necessarily try to make it easy to switch to another email service provider. But what ConvertKit does is say, hey, we have this concierge service where we'll switch it over for you. So you're removing that objection. And it's a valid objection because a lot of people, they have better things to do or higher leverage things to do than to switch from one SaaS to another. But you can handle that objection up front. And maybe at some point they move to automated uh, system convert kit does if they notice that a lot of their a lot of their customers are switching from one particular ESP to another. I mentioned this earlier, but it's just around, it could be in terms of features or it could be in terms of messaging, but making some type of move that makes it costly for incumbents to imitate you. This doesn't stop new players from coming in and like indexing into that same niche that you have within a fragmented market, but it does keep the incumbents at bay. Another opportunity is around starting a productized service. So I don't think I mentioned uh, much of any productized services in the player space, but fragmented markets all throughout productized services, whether we're talking about uh, unlimited graphic design services like Design Pickle or podcast editing services or managed WordPress services. So an example that you may see in a report around starting with productized services first is from uh, Craig Hewitt, who runs Castos. But before uh, he was running Castos, he ran a podcast uh, editing service, which was a productized service called Podcast Motor. And I'm sure he got a lot of insights and a lot of contacts and relationships out of running that. And that allowed him to stair step up to a more scalable business model, which is the SaaS and Castos that he's running now. Another opportunity, and this is a slight spin on the fragmented market approach, but it's building a micro marketplace if you can find like enough liquidity and carve off a section of a more general marketplace. So in the drop culture report, we looked at stock X, but we also looked at Chrono 24. So at one point I heard the CEO at the time talking about the differences between stock X and Chrono 24, 
where he basically conceded and say, if you're looking for a certain class or a certain type of watch or a certain type of service, you might want to go to Chrono24, which is this micro marketplaces where that's all they sell. Once you niche down, you can make these design concessions towards this segment of customers because you're only trying to build for them. So not quite a fragmented market, but it's still a flavor of that approach in the network space or in the marketplace uh, space where you're just niching down, you're breaking off a piece of a larger marketplace. Another thing we see in terms of opportunities is the way a lot of these companies will enter the market is they'll take they'll take a space like email marketing and they'll say, I'm going to offer you a lifetime deal, which until Synfox did that was unheard of. You also see that with uh, niches. They entered the this like newer AI-generated copy space. You see a lot of companies popping up doing this now. There are a lot of fragmented markets in the data as a service space. One I'm just highlighting here is Hunter, where they'll help you find anyone's email address, but they weren't the first and they won't be the last into that space. And somehow people just manage to be eating. We'll get to that more later. Another thing is like taking a studio or a por portfolio approach where you're saying like, hey, I'm going to build multiple businesses in fragmented markets. And I think that there's a time or a scenario or a case to do this, and there's a time not to do this. So on one end, if you haven't reached a point of diminishing returns of saying, hey, you're building up one company in a frag market, your effort might be better spent just building up that business because you're just over diversifying and you're diversifying too soon. On the other end, if you're selling to the same persona or the same customer, there could be some benefits in terms of cross-selling and you'll have a lower customer acquisition cost because you're just reusing that relationship to sell them additional things that they need. So it's just more scenario driven there. Some other minor opportunities, just outsourcing some of your sales with an affiliate program. ConvertKit does this, Transistor FM, they do this, and they have recurring commission models. Another thing is around building an ecosystem where like Meller Lite, they have their experts. Integramat, they have their partner program. Those are just two examples there. Something that I'm not seeing a lot of people doing, but if imagine we talk about like Sheet to Site apps like Pori or Sheet to Site, which is the company's name, and there are a few other players in this space, but what if they open source saying, hey, anybody could build a template and offer a template on some sort of marketplace. So they have like other people working to build up their ecosystem and that could give them like a competitive edge over others there. You see Super, the like Notion micro SaaS doing this now where people can like list templates for sale or for free. And something else that's just worth mentioning, actually two more things, but one more thing that doesn't really fit, but a lot of people overlook. I talked about embedding effects earlier, but once you combine embedding effects with expansion revenue, let's use MailChimp as an example of the more contacts that I end up developing for TrendsVC, the more that I end up paying MailChimp, which it's expansion revenue. So you think if they get enough of this, they don't actually have to acquire new customers to make more money. And that leads to something called uh, negative churn. So there are like these little pieces of magic in this SaaS fragmented market space. And just lastly, if you're looking for a market to enter, you could just pull up G2 and I'll link to this in a report, in the pro version of the report. Pull up G2 and look at their categories and you'll see that they probably have more than 100 categories. And again, people just happen to be succeeding, even though like they may look like they're in direct competition with each other. So on the key lessons, the first key lesson just is around being a fast follower to a fragmented market. And I hesitate on the fast part because 
a lot of these are like parties that you really wouldn't mind being late to. You're letting other people figure the messaging out, figure the pricing out, figure out which value metrics matter, which distribution channels work. And then you come in with a different uh, niche or a different uh, spin and you put that on it. Or you just may come in with some type of organic acquisition method of maybe you may have a newsletter or a podcast that's speaking to these people. And again, with code being commoditized and this being a distribution game, you have the scarcest piece of the value chain right there. Something else is around uh, just coming back and talking about this being about risk reduction. So that's why I'm talking about micro private equity. That's why I'm also talking about pre-sales here, because all of these things contribute uh, to reducing risk. And what we really haven't touched on is why isn't this talked about a lot and why doesn't it get a lot of like coverage? And I, I think there's a lot of reasons. But one reason that I definitely want to highlight is that when you think about like VCs and angels and they have a vested interest and in like throwing survivorship bias aside, these are some of the best salespeople in the world and they're selling money. We have the like tech crunch headlines. And something else that I like to think about is just like when something makes the news, it's almost an exception. It's like remarkable. It's worth remarking about, but that's what gets airtime and that's what gets a, a lot of our attention as opposed to this more fragmented approach, which represents like the overwhelming majority of businesses. Coming back to freedom versus glory, and I know this is coming off like I'm hard on this side of fragmented markets. Some businesses actually do require funding and they require VCs. If you think about if Uber tried to play this game of I'm not going to raise, I'm not going to deal with VCs because it is more of a monopolistic outcome for them. Someone would have came along and crushed them and willing to have this outlay of millions and millions of dollars and bleeding that for years towards this monopolistic outcome. It's just that the majority of businesses don't tend to work that way. However, that's what has most of the mind share. And for the uninformed listener, audience, whatever, that's what they think about when they think about businesses. And that's just not the reality. There's some type of a disconnect between like perception and reality there. Coming back to glory versus freedom, this is about knowing what game you're playing. It's not about do this or do that. It's just if you're going to play this game, be aware of hedonistic adaption, knowing that once you reach that space, if you succeed, that you're just going to want more and more. And that's why I talk about freedom versus glory, understand survivorship bias, understand all of these things. If you're going to whatever game you're going to play, just make sure you understand all the aspects uh, of that game and think it through. Another thing is just running towards competition, where a lot of times we run away from competition, but it's like running towards competition because one less thing that you don't have to worry about if people are succeeding in that space is whether someone wants this. You may ask, how do I get in touch with those people or how do I persuade them to use my solution? But you're not asking, does anyone need this? And those are very different questions. Another aspect to look at in terms of key lessons is just around to think about to overcome network effects and these winner take most games, Uber, in a lot of cases, you have to be 10 times better or more. But to like index in the, one of these markets, you could possibly reach feature parity and you don't even need to be better. You may have different messaging or a slightly different feature and you can still capture some market share with that. Or you could be slightly better. All of those things work. But just to overcome a deep moat like network effects, you have to be multiples or like an order of magnitude better than the incumbents. And that's just a very different, a very different battle of the fight there. Another aspect where I hinted at this in the, the beginning, but if you're trying to create a new market and that market happens to be fragmented and it's not a winner take most market, you get the worst of both worlds. So market risk in my mind is only worth taking if it's a winner take most game. 
because you can think about, uh, I forgot exactly what Edison said about 10,000 tries to get the light bulb working, but it's just like he could get a patent at the end of that. There's really not a patent in SaaS. There's not a patent in fragmented markets. So you're doing all of this work to possibly not capture that that market share that sort of matches the amount of work that you put in. So that's another aspect to think about. And it could be a glory thing if you're saying like, hey, there may be 30 players in this market now, but I created this market. And if that's something that you lean on, uh, that status or that glory more than the wealth or the freedom that comes with that, by all means, play that game. Again, it's just about being informed and being aware of the game that you're playing here. Another thing to talk about is uh, this idea of decision dilution and the different types of stakeholders that you deal with and how that affects your decision. So with a lot of bootstrap companies, if it's just the founder or co-founders and their customers, in my mind, they can make much better decisions for everyone. If you imagine it like a table, everyone's sitting at that table because in terms of stakeholder type, what you have is founders and then you have customers. Even bootstrap businesses can get more complicated if they bring in sponsors on top of that. Now decisions are going to dilute between three parties and there could be like some revenue that sort of justifies that. Sometimes customers might get shafted because we have to prioritize the needs of sponsors and win-win-wins do exist but they are they become harder to come by in that way. And then you inv add investors to the table, uh, you add employees to the table, each stakeholder type that you add to this table, that I'm, this picture that I'm painting, it dilutes your decisions of it's hard to make great decisions in everyone's interest. There are gonna be some win-win-wins, but the more <laughs> demand or stress that we put on that question, of it also has to be a win for this stakeholder type, the worse that decision is gonna get on average. Another thing is just like being the best is a misnomer in my mind, where, you know, the best for who? That's a question I find myself asking a lot. Even if you look at these like winner take most games like Facebook, where Facebook, you could say they benefit, but they have to play this general game where are there better designed uh, social networks than Facebook? Or I won't even call them social networks because they may not have enough social liquidity to justify being called that. But the answer is yes. But Facebook has to play to the middle, whereas in these fragmented markets, when you're talking about the best, are you the best for enterprise, the best for SMBs, the best for consultants, the best for moms? Who are we talking about? Because best is subjective. Best is always subjective, but that especially jumps out in fragmented markets. I already talked about watching out for being, running into the worst of both worlds. The analogy or metaphor that I put on this when I'm looking at like fragmented markets uh, versus more like monopolistic markets is, are you writing like nonfiction or are you trying to write a novel? Where with nonfiction, you can do market research in terms of, hey, like golf books, they have this selling rank and maybe there's a gap in the market here and you can do all this types of analysis of, are you trying to write that golf book or are you trying to write the next Harry Potter? And it's just like that ladder that writing the Harry Potter is a lot, that's a much bigger lift and a lot more risk that you're taking on. And I would compare that to the VC route, the glory route, the status route, which if you're like uh, the business version of a hopeless romantic, it might be a battle worth fighting, but you have to ask yourself, am I optimizing for freedom? Am I optimizing for glory? And Naval might say, are you optimizing for wealth or status there? We could also look at these sort of like micro monopolies where I had a recent conversation with Jack Butcher. I kept saying that trying to build this like sort of micro monopoly is risky. It's not riskier 
than trying to build a like trying to enter or create a new market, but it could take a while compared to this fragmented market approach. So I alluded to this report dropping, but there's a question there where if you do try to build this this personal brand, which you can launch products on the back of, you could go and check out the audience first product report if you you know want to know more about what I'm talking about there. But I wouldn't really say that's a fragmented market. I would say those are categories of one. Uh, and they may be an exception to all of these things I'm talking about. I do think that in a lot of ways, they're actually harder to pull off than it is to enter a fragmented market. But on the back end of, end of that, it has a lot of optionality where as long as the product that you launch on the back of that audience is somehow related to them, you could launch multiple products and take multiple shots in there. You can just see all the reasons that I point to in that audience first products report there. And then one of the, the ending things is just talking about why zero to one even itself is a myth where we're building this like human colossus and we stand on the shoulders of giants where you could look at Airbnb and it's okay, like they went zero to one, they created a new market. Jeremy and I was talking and he made a good point where it was around, did they? VRBO preceded them and they're still running. Airbnb may have done some things differently. Zero to one is really a myth. It's just really coming down to, are you playing in a fragmented market or winner take most game. Another thing that I, I, I have to speak to is whenever I would hear this, I would kick myself and be mad that this report wasn't already out, but I've been hearing this for years where you're talking to someone and they're like, oh, this idea has never been done, or I have an idea instead of leading with a problem, or someone, if they're asking you to sign an NDA or something, and it's just, these are really anti-patterns, especially if you embrace this idea of fragmented markets where it's just, none of this stuff is new. You still have execution risk, go in there and pull it off, and even talking about execution risk there, uh, that's another benefit of sort of buying product market fit. If you can nullify that execution risk of they've already reached product market fit and you have like operations risk if you have to be able to maintain that and like actually run a company. But if you're thinking about it like a air airplane taking off an airstrip, they've already throttled it. It's at like cruising altitude. You have to just not fuck it up at that point. You just have to keep the thing going course. And again, you still have to be a good operator. Another sort of aspect to look at, and this is going to be the last key lesson, is around going back to thinking about scientists or innovators versus commercializers, where you think about like scientists, like they've probably contributed the most value in some ways to society, but not a lot of them have captured that value. Some have, if you think about like James Dyson, a lot of times they'll create it and they'll prove it's possible. They'll go zero to one and then someone else will take that one in and capture most of that value. In terms of the haters, uh, the first hater is saying, screw everything you're talking about. I want to build a unicorn. And that just goes back to what I said about understand survivorship bias, understand hedonistic adaption, understand the life that you want to lead and what the reality looks like. If you actually succeed at building this unicorn vision, you might end up with more stakeholders and more bosses than any employee in that company. If you're comfortable with all of these things and you've thought that through, by all means, um, take that on. Someone else, another hater is like, hey, like this is a race to the bottom. And I think that there's, it's important to say that there's balance in everything, that if there's not even a distribution moat, which it's hard to even imagine that because you think about, I forget the uh, company's name, but it's a subsidiary of Shopify where it's, they basically give you products and then you're like lead gen for them. In a way you can think about Printify this way, like why do some people win and why do some people lose in that Printify game? It goes back to distribution. So I don't think it's a race to the bottom. There's still a game being played here. It's just not a product game and it's not a winner take most market. Maybe some industries are more uh, saturated than others, 
but this is the place for nuance. So I'm getting into the weeds here. Another hater could say, okay, like it takes just as much energy to go big as it takes to go small. So why not just go big? That may be true in terms of energy, but the expected returns are night and day when you're chasing this like glorified route and you're suffering from survivorship bias. Like if there's a one in 100 chance of that working out, do you have a hundred lifetimes or a hundred five year periods to put it to that thing to try to make it work out? And again, it just depends on your values. If that hopeless romantic version of reality is worth chasing for you, by all means do it, but do it consciously. Someone else is just saying, hey, like you're thinking too small, a response to them could just be like, if you're so confident in your skills, get a base hit in and then go for your home run or go straight from the home run. But again, do that consciously. Someone else may say that freedom and glory aren't mutually exclusive. And when I talk about freedom versus glory, it's not saying that they're mutually exclusive. It's really about when they are in conflict and they often are in conflict. What do you choose? And that expresses what you're really after there. Is there anything else? Just someone who's saying like, hey, like it's immoral to copy. I don't feel right copying. And it's just, even if you try to copy something verbatim, it's almost impossible. Almost like an artist trying to imitate another artist. Like you're going to come out with an unintentional spin on that. And then plus anybody that you copied, they copied someone else. Going back to zero to one is a myth. So I think that's some sort of false feeling or misunderstanding. So that wraps it up. It may be a while before uh, you hear another one of these, but wanted to do this because I was really passionate. Uh, about this particular topic. Thanks for listening. To get the reports mentioned here and join our community, become a Trends Pro member.